If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet is of utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here is your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome everyone to Taming the Wild. I am Brian Bailey. I'm your host and joining me in the studio today is my wife, Kira, and professional dog trainer, Joshua Huffmaster. Today's a very important topic. Today we talk about why do dogs attack children? Because they certainly do. And it's amazing because dog aggression is what I do all day, every day. And I've been doing it for decades. And I just can't wrap my head around why we believe it doesn't occur. But we'll get into that. But I want to talk to you a little bit about it, how it does. Just from the years 2005 to 2017, there's been a 52% increase in the number of fatalities that have occurred in this country. Now, that's a fatalities to adults and children. And that's up 73% from a similar study that was done in 1979 to 1988. The scary part of it is that over half of these occur to children under 10 years of age. And 54% of these occurred from the family dog. Again, hence why tragedies like this occur because we never would believe that the family dog would do it. So far in this year, 2019, there have been six fatalities. Two others are under investigation and just not have been deemed officially as fatalities caused by dog bite attacks. But we've had one child that has died. And the name of the child is Ashton McGee, a one-year-old that was killed by the family dog. In 2018, we had 38 total fatalities. Four of these are under investigation, so that number could easily rise to 42. Uh, out of those, 15 children were killed by dogs. And all of these were killed either by the family dog or they were killed by one of them, by the babysitter's dog. And it's amazing. Uh, Riley Dodge, three years old, killed from a family dog. Aurora Little, eight days old, killed by the family wolf hybrid. Loxie Chavez, 13 months old. Now, she was killed by her babysitter's dog. And the babysitter was charged with second degree involuntary manslaughter because her dog had previously bitten her own child severely. Noah Trevino, four years old, killed by a family dog, owned for three years. Gaia Nova, three months old, mauled to death by family dog. Gage Eckenrode, three, six years old, killed by a family dog. Liana Valino, nine months old, killed by a family dog. Paige Bradley, five months old, killed by a family dog. You're starting to get the theme here now. These aren't dogs that just simply ran out of the woods. These aren't dogs that ran up to these children at the park. These are dogs that belong to the family. And many of them had, would, had been with the family for many, many years. Jayla Smith, six years old, killed by a dog her family was pet-sitting. Right? That one's a little different. Javon Torres, two years old, killed by three pit bulls belonging to the babysitter. Chloe Williams, seven months old, killed by a dog while in foster care. Denali Gonzalez, two years old, mauled to death by a new family dog. 
Trinity Harrell, one-year-old, killed by the family dog. Noah Sharp, 19 months old, mauled to death by the family dog. And lastly, Cecilia Garris, six days old, killed by the grandparents' dog. So guys, attacks do occur to children and fatalities do happen. More often, children are just severely injured to a tune of over 2.7 million children just in this country alone are attacked by dogs to such a degree that they have to seek emergency medical care or have reconstructive surgery. Not to mention the last, the lasting mental trauma that these children have. If you're listening to this show and you've ever been bitten by a dog, I'm sure you can tell me exactly when it occurred, what kind of dog it was. You can probably articulate how traumatic that experience was and what it's done to you even with your future feelings and your opinions about dogs in general. In 2017, dog bites accounted for over one third of all homeowner insurance claims, costing Americans over $700 million. But guys, it is a problem. It is a major problem in this country. But what causes this? Why do we have a problem with, with dogs being attacked in this country? Many reasons why this occurs. Number one, one of the major causes is disbelief. Disbelief. Why would we believe that our child would never be ever killed by a dog? Well, before I really delve into that, when I wrote my book, Why Dogs Attack Us, and how to prevent it, the book called The Hammer. There are four factors that lead up to every attack that I've investigated for over four decades. And those factors are disbelief, ignorance, blindness, and speed. Those are the main reasons why dogs are attacked. The number one reason being disbelief, meaning we never believed it would occur because the dog is actually the family member, just an additional member to the family. We are a society in which we believe that dogs are more akin to little people in fur coats than they are to actually being dogs with fangs, claws, and a mechanism that drives their behavior that is totally unique to them. They've never been a human. They really don't know how to conduct themselves as a human. They know how to manipulate humans. They know how to push the boundaries of their behavior to cause, to influence our behavior. But nevertheless, they've never been a human being. And this is a major issue. And it's not just my opinion that anthropomorphism, where we do think we own a little person in a fur coat, is one of the underlying causes for so many issues that we have with dogs. Not just regular obedience, not just uh, fatalities, but just how dogs integrate into the human society. Uh, Dr. Stephen Spott, who's a renowned scientist, in his book, 
uh, the societies of wolves and free-ranging dogs, he makes the comment that anthropomorphism is so prevalent. He goes, and it gets in the way of how we approach the behavior of our animals and whether we intend to modify their behavior or we simply try to coexist with the animal. He says, linking a dog's whine with what we seem to be to us, to be frustration, and yelp with what surely must be fear, because a comparable signal would be fearful to us, is not a fruitful approach. Absolutely, but we can't help but do this. We can't help but contaminate every experiment, every study, every observation that we have with the footprint of human bias. Um, he also goes on to state that the insistence that behavior and biology are inseparable might seem frustrating to those who measure only behavior's visible aspects. However, mechanism underlies the expression at every level, and behaviors ignore this truth at their peril. And sometimes it's the peril of the child. Joshua, do you have something to add? Well, going back to, you know, putting kind of what we see as uh, emotions from these dogs. I could fill up an entire hour of this show showing America's Funniest Home videos of dogs and people thinking that it's, you know, the dog is trying to portray something that it's actually not. All these mixed signals and it's, it's actually on the show America's Funniest Home videos and what the dog is actually trying to say in some of these videos is I'm terrified. Um, please leave me alone. But that's not how us humans perceive it. We don't, we don't really see um, what the dog is actually trying to say to us. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so many of the clients that I've had over the years, when it came to their child being attacked by the family dog, the disbelief that occurred was because it was based on the foundation that they believed that the dog should behave itself like a big brother or a big sister. Well, why wouldn't it? You feed it, you love it, and you give it a nice bed to to sleep on, you know, why wouldn't it treat you just like um, a grateful, you know, guest or family member? And therein lies part of the problem. We also think that when we have a puppy and we allow it to be raised with our child, the dog will come to know the child, love the child, and give the child all the grace that is necessary for to maintain a very safe and harmonious relationship with the child. Now, granted, the dog does become familiar with the child. Uh, but that's a problem in and of itself because when we are familiar with them, we do give grace. We do understand certain gestures that children give to the dog. And the dog perceives that, whether that's a threatening gesture or not. But however, the other issue is this, children change. And we'll get into that in just a second here because they change from the perspective of the dog. But so many people believe that, again, the number one reason why adults are attacked and the number one reason why children are attacked is simply from disbelief. We never believed that would occur. Uh, recently, I was reading an article and even watching a few videos in which family members were describing their aggressive dogs as feisty instead of saying aggressive. Yeah, we saw a video this morning. It was amazing. I tell people when a dog growls, they do so for a reason. They don't they don't have a sense of humor. They're not they're not playing around or 
you know, obviously they can use those same aggressive signals as a form of play. However, it's a, it's a form of communication as well. Yeah. I always tell everyone the step that comes next after a growl is a bite. And yet because we cannot wrap our heads around the concept that a dog would bite a innocent child, we now change what it really is and describe the dog as simply just being feisty. Uh, I had a client who came to see me with a five-year-old child. And again, this child, like many of the children, it was the face that was horribly disfigured. And there were several staples in the child's head and it was a young boy. And I explained to the mother that when wolves kill wolves and dogs certainly try to kill other dogs, they don't go for the neck as what many of us believe. Anytime we see dogs playing and they grab each other by the neck, we think, oh my God, this dog is trying to kill the other dog. Well, really, no. Again, they are governed by mechanism that we do not understand. We cannot grasp that concept. But the neck is the strongest part on a canine's body. It is akin to our thigh muscle. So anytime they grab the neck, it's about control. I want to control the situation. I don't want to kill. When wolves kill wolves and dogs attempt to kill dogs and dogs kill children, in most instances, it's a puncture right in the skull. It's quick. Contact is risky. Contact is extremely risky in the wild. And Mother Nature has a rule. Do not engage if you do not have to. And if you do have to, engage quickly. Hence, the attack to the head. Well, it didn't take me but a few minutes to interview this client and look at the child and, and take into account that the dog was a very large dog, a big mixed dog. I advise the dog must go. It, it must go. If you wish to get another dog, maybe something much smaller, like a Maltese or a Yorkie or so on and so forth, certainly those can bite your, dog as, uh, bite your child as well but we don't run the risk of a fatality usually occurring from one of those events. So I advise the dog must go. In fact, I will keep the dog here with me and I will make other arrangements for the dog, but it cannot go home with you today with this young child. This is a fatality that almost occurred and it will certainly occur again. You're, you're not going to take this dog home. Well, she did. And not only did she take the dog home, but what was it, Kara, about three days later? Yes, it was. Three days later, we got that phone call. Yes. And this was the mother asking me, Brian, what do you think about a muzzle? And of course, right then, I fired her as a client. We were horrified. At the end of the day, you have to be a mother first, dog owner a distance, second, third, or fourth. And not to mix the two. Yeah, I just don't get it. Uh, so anyway, so disbelief is the number one reason why attacks occur. Disbelief. We never imagined that our dog would bite our child. And we'll get into that uh, a little bit deeper here, uh, coming up here in the episode. Ignorance. 
Well, that kind of goes hand in hand with the disbelief. Ignorance is what type of aggression could my child find itself in? In other words, why would the dog attack? I was ignorant of that. I didn't realize that a dog would attack my child over the leftover cereal. I didn't realize that my dog would attack my child simply because my child wanted to give it a hug. And then blindness. We don't recognize the signals. Uh, we're going to show a couple of videos here coming up in the episode for those of you that are can tune in on Facebook Live. Um, and you'll see a dog with its muzzles pull all the way back, exposing all of its teeth. And the parents are actually laughing in the background. They don't recognize the signals. Dogs don't have language. They use signals. And they mostly come in visual with a little auditory mixed in. So they don't see that. And then the next thing that they don't understand is how fast aggression must be. For speed, for aggression to be effective, you must have speed. And parents typically think that they're close enough. Oh, the child was right next to me. The child was actually sitting on my lap. They can't believe how fast these attacks occur. Lightning fast. I tell everyone, even a python will proceed the slow, constricting death with a lightning fast strike right to the head. I have been in the wild and I've been in the wild all over this world. And I will tell you this, when it comes from a predator, when the attack occurs, you'll be lucky to avoid it. Even if you do recognize the signs, it comes that quick. And when we think that we have things under control, that we are close to our children, then that's when the attack occurs because it comes fast, really fast. We'll talk more about that in a second here. Um, we're going to go ahead and cut away to a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the different types of aggression. What type of aggression will your dog use against your child or your, your child's friends? In other words, small human beings, typically under the age of 10. We'll talk about that, and then we're going to get into prevention. What do we do? How do we keep our children safe? All right, we're going to cut away, and when we come back, uh, we'll see you guys here in a couple of minutes, and let's get ready to roll and talk a little bit more about this and, and keep our children safe. So until we get back, sit, stay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. 
Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email if you prefer to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We've been talking about a very serious subject, uh, attacks to children, to young children. Um. You know, while we were on break, I was thinking, when I wrote my book, there were many comments on it and there were reviews on the book. And one of those came from a professional trainer who basically, and you can look it up yourself in a comment, stated that we shouldn't be concerned about dog aggression to children because it doesn't occur often enough. In other words, in comparison to how many children there are in the United States or in the rest of the world for that matter. So again, we should not use scare tactics and try to use a terror type crisis and blow it out of proportion. And the only thing that I can even begin to say to a comment like that is, You must not be a parent because if you are, then the only child that matters at that moment is yours. It does matter. So again, welcome to America where you get to state your opinions, but I'm not very grateful for that opinion. Sometimes I wish our rights weren't there. But I'll get off that soapbox. But that's our problem. When you have professionals out there stating disbelief themselves, meaning we don't need to be worried about this problem because it doesn't happen enough. That adds to the problem. Okay, so let's get back to it. What are the types of aggression? Why would my dog attack my child? Why would a dog attack a child? Period. Whether it's your child or not. Well, there's three predatory components that occur in an attack. First of all, there has to be motivation. Why would I attack the child? That is a major component. Then number two, what degree of an attack do I need to give? Do I simply need to just drive the child away from me or is my intent to kill the child or Am I simply trying to escape the child to get away from it? Well, in explaining those, 
One of the number one reasons why children are attacked by dogs really depends upon the age of the child. But most attacks, as, you, as I read off the victims that just occurred in the last, this year and last year alone, is because of predatory, competitive, or self-defense reasons. And the, which one will be used really depends greatly upon the age of the child and the age of the dog itself. I'd like to describe that when you bring a child home and you have an adult dog in the home, I use a pendulum to describe what occurs, meaning the pendulum is fully swung to one end, and that is the infant that you bring home. Most infants are swallowed enclosed. Their arms and their legs are all wrapped up, and we're hugging them and we're pulling them close to our bodies yet they squeak. Again, uh, may not be the, the right adjective to use or the word to use in, in this situation here, uh, that they squeak loudly. But nevertheless, again, dogs thrive on the familiar. And here comes this new thing into the home. And it doesn't have anything that from a visual perspective looks like a cub or looks like a pup. It's wrapped up in clothes and it cries and has a funny smell. For many dogs, this suddenly becomes the stuffed toy with a squeaker in it. And any of you that have a dog that has a stuffed toy with a squeaker, well, the life expectancy of that toy in our household <laughs> is all of about six seconds. The first thing our dogs will do is pounce on that stuffed toy because they are certain that there's a mouse in there. Something that is inside that thing squeaking. And like the good little domestic wolves that they are, that's what they go for. They attack that stuffed toy. They shred it until the squeaker has been found and the squeaker has been neutralized. It doesn't squeak anymore. Well, unfortunately, we see a lot of this with children. Dogs biting at the children, trying to grab the children. It's not in a I want to kill the child mentality. It's a, wow, you just brought home a new toy. How fantastic is this? Quite lifelike. Yes. And it wiggles and it cries. And it's easily accessible for most dogs when it's lying in that crib. And again, disbelief from the part of the parents, just let the dog run free around the child and put it in the crib. It is surely protected from the dog. So then that's the pendulum when the dog or when the child comes home, the dog first meets the child. And then the child starts to crawl across the floor as it ages. Now the child takes on a whole different perspective to the animal. Ah, now you look like a cub. Now you look like a pup. And so dogs that were suddenly trying to kill the child or shred it so they can get to the squeaker suddenly become very protective of the child. Oh, don't let anything touch the child. This is a pup. It's a cub. That inherent protect the young instinct starts to ignite. And then that feeds into our belief, that false sense of security that, hey, everything is great. Look how much the dog loves the child. Look how much. Wants to protect it. Oh, this is wonderful. And quite possibly is as long as the child doesn't crawl over to the dog while it's eating 
or while the dog has his favorite toy with a squeaker in it, or the dog is pressed up against a sofa or underneath the table, somewhere where it cannot escape the child. And then we have a major event that occurs. The child suddenly stands upright. Now, as soon as they do that, most children are now head level with majority of dogs, if not taller. And in walks the door, a very deadly condition. And it's called the principle of resemblance. You resemble me. Think it about yourself. Now, if I had a three-year-old coming up and trying to hit me with a bat, I'm not really concerned about that. But a 30-year-old, I'm very concerned about it. Out in the wild, as wolves approach two years of age, they are definitely every bit as tall, if not taller, than the mating pair, their parents. And it's at that point that dad typically looks over at mom and says, hey, have you seen Junior lately? That boy's got a little size on him. He's got a bit of an attitude as well. I think it's time for him to go. And this doesn't just happen in the wolf kingdom. This happens in all social predatory kingdoms. Nature uses dispersing distance as her number one tool to blunt aggression. So next thing you know, little Timmy is upright. Timmy approaches Bowser. And Bowser has his favorite, favorite bully stick. And as Timmy approaches, he is no longer a child to Bowser because of his height. He's the same thing that the two-year-old wolf is to his father. He now takes on the role of competitor and opponent. And inner walks competitive aggression. The number one reason for attacks on the planet Earth. The number one cause of aggression. The evolutionary rule of mind. And little Timmy approaches and Bowser warns. Laser stare, teeth pulled back, back off, mine. But because the parents don't recognize these signals, and because they also believe that this would never occur, Timmy just keeps approaching. Until finally, Bowser will use whatever level of aggression is necessary to immediately stop Timmy's advance and drive him away from the bully stick. Welcome to the law of limited resources. It is still there in our dogs, and if you don't believe it, then you need to start believing it. Because it is there. And again, that's not just my opinion. That is the opinion of any well-known, renowned ethologist, biologist, even psychologist. It is there. The other thing that we need to take into consideration is for attacks is the dog. Meaning sometimes we get puppies at about the same time that we have our child. Maybe space apart about a few months or whatever. And we think, oh, I'm going to get a puppy that can grow up with my child and they'll grow to be best friends. 
it'd be like a big brother, big sister, or a little sister type situation, big sister, little brother. And life will be dandy and it'll all be fine. But what they don't understand is that this dog is going to mature to an adult level about the time your child is only two years old. And when that happens, many things occur, not just more power, not just more size, but my brain, the brain changes. Welcome to right hemisphere, left hemisphere. And the right hemisphere, which controls many behaviors, but number one, fight or flight, control emergency situations, identify friend or foe and do it accurately. Well, when the child is young and when the dog is young, the aperture for that camera lens that is built into that right hemisphere is very narrow. It does not need to be able to identify a threat very well. Why? Because the young dog or wolf or the child is supposed to be under the protective custody of the parents. That's their job. Hence again, so many parents not protecting their children. That is your job. You are to protect your offspring. I've certainly met a lot of 30-year-olds that won't fly in a plane, but I've yet to meet a three-year-old. As we age, our ability to identify those things that can kill us and cause us great harm and great harm to our children becomes more established and more accurate in preparation for us to leave the protective custody of our parents. That's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to leave your parents. But until you do, until you can easily and accurately identify a valid threat, they're supposed to be protecting you. So now all of a sudden, little Timmy is walking upright because he's two. He can move pretty quickly now. And again, there's Bowser. He's two. But Bowser's full grown. Now Bowser sees Timmy approaching him with a brand new lightsaber that someone gave him for Christmas and thinks threat. And that's one of the other reasons for aggression is self-defense. Self-defense. In many situations with children, it's because they don't have the ability to get away from them. When nature gave us fight or flight, she said, Remember that contact thing I told you about? Don't do it. Try to avoid it. Run. It's why when you become afraid or you become nervous, your palms start to sweat. Because why? Oxygenated blood is being pumped to your legs. Go into shock, lift your feet. There's a reason for all of this. Nature says, run. But if you can't run, then you'll have no choice but to make the threat run from you. We see this occurring in households all the time when the dog is underneath the table, curled up on a sofa, on a leash, or much worse, in a crate or in a cage. Oh, that leads into his own issues in which we think the child is now safe 
from the dog until the child goes up and puts his fingers in the cage. And again, there's an animal in there that has no ability to flee. So what am I gonna do? I'm gonna make the child flee from me. So again, these are the three main reasons why your dog would ever attack any child. Predatory, mis-ID. Maybe your toy, maybe you are some sort of predator. Maybe the humans are holding a rabbit. Maybe they're holding a squirrel. Predatory, competitive. I'm protecting what I have value, valued. I want to keep it. And that's the number one reason. Do you have value? If the animal has an object or food nearby, it depends upon how much value they place in it as to how much they're willing to protect it, keep it, defend it. I think there we should add that with competitive aggression, it doesn't have to be a food item. It could be a sock. It could be something that you would think, why? Why would the dog attack my child over that? It doesn't have any value, but we aren't the ones that place the value on the item. It's the dog. Amen. That, that is exactly right. It's what they have, what they perceive to be valuable to them. And we've seen it mislabeled as jealousy when the animal is up on the sofa. No, that's my sofa. This is my spot next to the human. This is the least bit about jealousy. This is don't even think that you're going to take this from me. So again, it's not up to you as the parent to decide what the dog is willing to defend or not. Your job is to keep it in your head that it can defend it and it may defend it regardless of what you think about it. Granted, you drop a tub of cottage cheese in front of me right now, I am not going to defend it. You can have it, but someone else may say, I love cottage cheese. I would definitely defend that. But you drop a chocolate. I have a horrible sweet tooth. Snickers bar. There you go. We're going we're gonna to get it on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to defend that. Um, so, again, when it comes to competitive aggression, the biggest thing is value. But that's not up to you. Just know this. The more the dog values it, the more they're willing to defend it, and they're willing to go to a very, very, very high level in defending it, which can lead to a higher level of aggression. So again, predatory, competitive, and self-defense. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about how do we prevent this? What do we do, Brian? So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Sit, stay. The most important part of this show coming right up. See you back in a few minutes. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. 
These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email if you prefer to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, we typically run the show on Facebook Live as well. Having a little technical difficulty today with trying to connect with that. Uh, we have a couple of videos that we're going to roll here in a second. So I'm going to, even for the listeners, I would have to do a play-by-play on these videos. But they're, they're really important uh, to, to discuss and, and go over. Um, so if you have any questions, definitely give us a call, and we've got to answer those for you. And if you have any questions after the show or if you download this on demand and listen to it later, please send those questions to Brian, and that's Brian with a Y at TamingTheWild.com, Brian with a Y at TamingTheWild.com, and I'll be glad to answer those questions for you. Also, if you have an opportunity, check out my book. I have an entire book devoted to dog aggression and dog attacks to humans and how we can prevent it, understand it, you know, and that's the biggest thing. Here, We've raised four children with a variety of dogs, everything from German Shepherds to Dutch Shepherds, you name it. We've had dogs that are more than capable of killing our children. Joshua, you have a young child right now, don't you? Yeah, I do. How old is he? He'll be two in April. And tell us about the dogs you have. I have uh, an American Pit Bull Terrier. I have a Belgian Malinois, and I have a hound lab mix of some sort. Your guess is as good as mine. Big okay. floppy ears, floppy <laughs> jowls. So. Okay, so as you can hear just from us, we have children. We have dogs. Uh, I, had a, I was a police canine officer for three years, and while in that service, I had a Belgian Malinois, and his name was Yager. And Yager was... Well, if he had a tattoo, it would have been 666. Let me just put it to you that way. He was the absolute antichrist when it came to being any sort of animal that uh, you would think you would own in a home with children. But it was done successfully. Why? Because we didn't fear it. We embraced it. We did not disrespect our children or disrespect the dog by trying to make the situation out into something that it wasn't. 
We humans so many times, Mark Dare in his book, How the Wolf Became a Dog, writes that we have tried our best to carve the dog from the wild and create a biological dog. And we do so at the dog's ruin. It's what's wrong with just simply accepting the dog for really what it is. Why do we feel so, so motivated to turn them into something that they're not? Because when you think that you own a little person in a fur coat, then of course you're naturally going to believe that its behavior will be governed by the same rules, the same instinct, the same moral consciousness that you have. But again, you can own dogs, a variety of dogs, quite successfully and not have your child visit the emergency room or worse yet, go to a morgue. Uh, so I'm going to give a play-by-play because we have a little video here. Actually, Joshua, let me have you do it. Roll the video and give us a play-by-play of what's happening here. Okay. So right now, uh, before I started, there's a, there's a young child on all fours. Oh, what would you say? Maybe uh, a year and a half? Maybe. Better that Probably me. not quite that old. Not, even, not even a year and a half. So <laughs> crawling, maybe struggling to get around. And there's a dog curled up. But you can tell that its back is against the, the wall. Definitely, you'd say cornered. Um, as of right now, the dog's expression is looking up at the, the person that's holding the camera, which I assume is the parent. And, you know, you see ears back. You see the dog kind of looking out of the side of its eyes. It's definitely not a happy-go-lucky dog. In the, in the, I mean, there's right. definitely – And what kind of dog, what kind of breed? If you, if you guess, what, what would you call this breed? Ooh, there would definitely be some lab in there, maybe – I see some possible Rhodesian Ridgeback. Yeah, Rhodesian Ridgeback. Pretty big dog. Yeah, Yeah. nevertheless, yes. Good point. It is a very large dog. All right, so this child is crawling on all fours, and right now it is actually touching the dog's tail. Mm -hmm. Take it from there, Josh. So when I start to play the video, dog's ears keep flicking back. Um, The smile even comes up further up on the dog's mouth. There's signals galore. The dog is now kind of in avoidance, lifting its head up higher. Um, trying to avoid the, the dog, the child coming up, looking then, away from the dog. We away. call that aggressive deference right there, right there. And, and then the dog attacks. The moment that the child starts to come higher up on the dog, starts to elevate up onto the dog's shoulders, which would kind of simulate like a, a perpendicular mount to the dog. Yes. Um, the moment, I mean, the moment that the dog or the child touches the dog's shoulder it is a flash of a second. If you're not watching it, you'll miss it. Um, the dog oh. goes for the child's head. It's yes. horrifying. For the head. Uh, now, guys, we'll have these posted on our, uh, on our uh, Facebook page and on our YouTube. Uh, we'll, we'll put them out there so you guys can see them. But again, this is a young child calling on all fours, pacifier in the child's mouth. The dog is lying cornered. The dog is giving many, many signals, looking away, trying not to even maintain eye contact with the child, looking for an escape route, trying to go somewhere, but it can't. It is literally cornered. And the child comes up, grabs the tail, and then starts to crawl up on top of the dog, uh, like Joshua described. From the dog's perspective, this is a possible perpendicular mount, or worse yet, this is now an animal starting to crawl up toward my head. Maybe it's going to do damage to my head. And you're right. We have slowed this down and watched this over and over again. And yet we can't slow this film down enough to see the attack occur. It is that fast. 
like, well, and you know, what's really frustrating. I'm not saying that everybody needs to quit their day job and become canine professionals and, and study dog aggression. But what's really, really frustrating most about this is I, I could guarantee I would put a lot of money on it that the people that filmed this and when they reported it, they probably said it came out of nowhere, no warning, nothing. And, and there was obviously plenty, plenty of warning. Yeah. And that's the, both the blindness and the ignorance that I talk about. Disbelief, ignorance, blindness, and speed. These are always a factor in every single attack that occurs, whether it be the human, uh, I mean, to an adult or a child. And the really sad thing is that there are two victims here. There's the child and there's the dog. The dog is most likely going to be euthanized because you can't then rehome a dog who's bitten like that. So what do you do with them? Yeah, that's they have a, to be euthanized. That's a really good point. So, guys, let's talk about real quick here about prevention. Okay, number one, always think attack. Always keep that in your head. You have an animal that is every bit as lethal to your child as a gun, as a knife, as any, any number of things. At least have it in your head. Could this happen? Yes, it could. And it does. And it happens a lot. Over 300 plus children have died in this country just in the last 15 years. It does happen. Don't let your child become a victim of your disbelief. And as Kara pointed out, there are two victims here. It's always the dog who is the villain. And it's the dog that is put down. Now, not always, but I won't get into that. I could tell a really, really sad story here, but I'll, I'll come back to that if we have time. Number two, be a good zookeeper. At the end of the day, that's what you really need to do. And at the end of the day, when we take off all the fuzzy little gloss and glitter that we tend to put on dog ownership in which we show all the advertisements of the white picket fence and the SUV, it used to be a station wagon, but now it's the SUV, mom and dad and the child and the nice golden retriever. When we shave all of that off, it's an animal that we own. It's an animal. So that means we have to be a zookeeper. When you put your dog on a leash, you're being a zookeeper. When you tell it to stay in the car while you get out of the car, you're being a zookeeper. When you put it in a cage or a crate, you're being a zookeeper. We have to do this. You don't get to walk through zoos and see lions roaming around unsupervised with the antelope or the gazelles. They tend to keep them separated. So part of being a zookeeper is make sure you put your dog up when you can't supervise the interaction of your child and your dog. Put it up. We tell people all the time, our lives didn't come to a halt when we had children. In fact, if anything, it got even more distracting. There was more to do, which means something's burning on the stove. Someone's calling me on the phone. I hear the dryer or the washer beeping at me. The list goes on and on. And now all of a sudden, we scurry off to go do those chores or those tasks, and we leave the child completely unsupervised with the dog. Don't do that. Put your dog up when you can't be with your child and your dog. And if you can't put the dog up for whatever reason, maybe you have a friend visiting with their dog and you have nowhere to put it, then put the child up. 
Have the child go play outside. Have the child play in another room. Physically separate child from dog. Because again, we are easily distracted. When we can watch, we don't have to worry about that. Also, make sure we do everything that we can not to have our dogs enter into a competitive situation with our children. Clean up your house. When children are about, that's a great time to put up the dog's toys. It's a wonderful time to make sure that there's no food left on the floor and the dog bowls are put up and there's no food there. It's a great time to make sure that your child is not eating from a coffee table or a sofa while the dog is nearby because, again, these young children tend to drop their food. And when they reach for the food and dog reaches at the same time, we now have a competitive situation. So put up the food, put up the toys when you have your young child around your dog. This is the exact reason why we have so much success at our daycare and boarding facilities because we do pack boarding dogs, stay with each other, but we take everything out of the equation that they could potentially fight over. No igniters. Yeah, no exact, igniters. Exact reason why I leave a dog park the moment I see somebody come in with a treat pouch or something yeah. or a ball or whatever. It's just done. See ya. It, you bet. Uh, again, dog attacks don't just happen out of nowhere. There's always provocation, always a reason. And it can always be either self-defense. I see the child as a threat. Predatory, maybe it's a toy, or competitive. And again, competitive aggression is the number one reason. I cannot tell you how many clients I have had in which it was the fight over the child's toys or the dog's toys that started the entire thing. So be a good zookeeper. Watch your child around your dog. If there's any instinct in you as a parent, remember, and you've got that instinct because nature gave it to you. Your job is to protect your offspring. If anything doesn't feel right, believe it. It's not right. Don't ignore that pit in your stomach. Immediately separate child from dog. And over the years, as a child grows and becomes more able to discern its own threat or to govern its own behavior, well, now we can relax a little bit, just a little bit. But again, until they're full-blown adults, till they're more than capable of governing their actions, and the dog no longer sees them as a threat, then we have to do it for them. Good Lord, remember, attached to children are only 50%. Of it. it happens to adults and they wage into the same darn thing. And the last way that we prevent dog attacks, simply train your dog. Teach him to stay. So they stay away from the child. Teach him to come. In case the dog is approaching the child, teach the dog to come back to you. Definitely teach the dog to spit something out of its mouth exactly when you say so. Do it now. Out. Let go. All right, guys. Well, if you have any questions, reach out to us. Again, that's Brian with the Y at TamiTheWild.com. Next week, we're going to talk about what do you need to know before you get that new puppy or before you adopt an older dog? What is the right age to get a puppy? Imprinting, first crucial months, socialization and exposure. So if you're thinking about getting a dog anytime soon, you'll want to tune in next week because we're going to give you all the information you need to know before you make that big, sometimes lifelong decision. All right, guys, we've enjoyed this week. 
Again, reach out to us if you have any questions at all. Keep your children safe. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild in Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.